today on The Breakdown. It's just your normal, everyday cash game where everyone has a million freaking dollars in front of them. That's right. This is from the Triton Cash Game Series. We've got big names like Makita Bazikowski, Jason Kuhn, and a whole lot of rich guys. And there's a hand we're going to break down right now where it feels like everybody has something. They see a flop six ways. There's so much money just in play at all times. There's a lot that goes on, and there is at least one very surprising decision. We're going to get into it all right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. Yeah, so this is the Jeju Triton cash game from 2018, which may still be the, the biggest cash game that ever came together on television. Yeah. I don't know if we've had... We've had Triton cash games since then. I don't know if they've been as big as this one because... These guys are all playing with like around a billion Hong Kong dollars, which is, you know, around 900,000 U.S. dollars mm-hmm. at the time. The, um, so pretty serious money. There was the super high roller bowl cash games, which I think had something along these lines. Maybe they were like 500K buy-ins. I'm thinking about those were really, really big cash games, too. But we basically don't ever see cash games this size. I mean, it is crazy. By the way, Sam Greenwood's at this table, too. Um right. You can see why guys like Tom Dwan, Sam Greenwood, Jason Kuhn basically have moved to Macau and lived there for many, many you know months out of the year and just to play these games because it's like, and they get backed, you know, so they, there's like no downside. If you have a really good year, you make, you make a few million bucks with no risk. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. Sounds like a pretty good deal. I remember yeah. back in the day, way back in the day of televised poker, it was a huge deal. The, I think the final session of season four of High Stakes Poker, they did a $500,000 minimum buy-in. Yeah. Right? Then, like, uh, Gabe and AJ Benza wore tuxedos. I it remember. Was like, you know, it was exciting. It was fun. It was really exciting. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Was, that, yeah, one, was, was that, that the one Jamie Gold played in? I, I know he played that season. I don't know if he played in that one. I feel like the hand where he, like, annoyingly talked to Sammy mm. Farha into not putting all the money in with aces yeah. somehow. I, I feel like they weren't that deep. I think I feel like they were like 200K deep, okay. not 500K deep. Yeah, it's hard to remember. One. Yeah. I remember Sammy Farha played a lot of crazy big pots like with Patrick Antonius and stuff like that where Sammy Farha's got a flush draw. He's like, let's go. I'm going to put as much money in it. I'm going to call in with this king I flush draw. It doesn't, it doesn't even occur to me to do anything else, you know? I don't know if... Uh, you ever went back, but I remember I was telling you maybe a year and a half ago, I was going back and watching old high stakes poker and just like, I was agog at how bad some of the plays were by these players who were at the time at the top of their game. Like, of course there are the players who were ahead of their time and you see them play and you're like, okay, that still makes sense. But then there's like Sammy Farha. Who's like cold calling a three bet to 20 K when the open was to three K and then somebody makes it 20 K and he's cold calling with King seven off in the small blind. I mean, in fairness, like no one ever thought Sammy Farha was like, playing super well. Like I think we always played super wide ranges. And I mean, I guess maybe when we were watching, if we didn't know any better, we think like he's the crazy one, but he, he's got a method to his madness, but that was it. You know, it wasn't like, it always seemed like he was, he was losing his mind. You know, he was always like putting way too much money with ridiculous hands, just like constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's as if, and maybe this is true, but it's as if in like 2006, People had not yet understood that you're supposed to have a different range under the gun than on the button. <laughs> it felt that way. I mean, there's still some people who don't get that. 
but yeah. Well, there's lots of people who don't get that, but they're not playing 400, 800. Well, there's you know, a for few, the most part. There, but there's a few who are playing 400, 800 who don't get that. And Sammy yeah. was probably that guy back then. I mean, to be clear, Sammy was certainly like one of the whales in the game, right? Where they're like, woohoo, even though he's like basically a professional, like top level, maybe at one point the best in the world at like Omaha high low, I think. But like, right. I think at Hold'em, he was always like, they were. Like, he's one of the things that made the game happen, I, I gotta believe. I'm not just talking about Sammy Farha, man. Daniel Negreanu, I remember he opened, like, 5-7 off under the gun. Really? 5-7 yeah. off? I think it was season two. That's something like so that. Yeah. weird. I remember Tom Dwan, like, three-betting with, like, King-9 off in a spot where he did It just didn't really make any... There's no reason to do it kind of a thing. Tom Dwan did a lot of that, but yeah. he made up for it with, like... Being way ahead of the curve as far as game theory, yeah, post flop. Oh stuff, yeah, so no, no, he definitely had his whole different thing going than most people. In fairness to him, like so, it's not as fair to to go after Tom Dwan for any of those kinds of decisions. But still, it would be. Fun. I remember even the first season of High Stakes Poker at the time, there were some plays that were like, "Wow, that seems really bad." Back then, remember like the doctor, like there's just some. Yeah, like, well, the oh, they had ter- the amateurs they brought in were so bad. Yeah. They realized later that they had to have the amateurs come in that actually knew what they were doing a little bit. But then they went back to bad amateurs in the Norm McDonald season with like Phil Ruffin and stuff. Oh, yeah. Phil Ruffin. Yeah, that's a bad amateur right there. Oh, my God. It's so easy to play against a guy like that. Oh, yeah. So Unless easy. Unless you're Viffer. Unless you're Viffer and decide <laughs> to do the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. <laughs> when you yeah. should <laughs> absolutely know. You should already you clearly have a plan for Phil Ruffin if you're Viffer at that spot, right? Viver's like, nope, I'm just going to put in $150,000 <laughs> with nine high for no reason at all. That's going to work well, great. There's a whole new batch of rich guys for these top players to play against in, uh, in Macau here. And, uh, you know, it's the Paul Fua crew. Yeah. The, like the crew where it's really hard to define what they do or if they consider themselves professional poker players. Cause I know Paul Fua likes to be defined as a professional poker player, but I also know he's definitely not one. Yeah. And it's because Rui Cow is going to be one of the main players in this hand. And that's why I bring this up. It's very hard to figure out if Rui Cow is actually a professional poker player or not, because that's how he's defined in a lot of instances online. But he seems to have too much money for like his hand in. Maybe he's a professional cash game player. But then having watched him play in many hands, it feels like he can't really be a professional cash game player. Right. Like, so I don't know. It's hard to know. Yeah, I think. He's probably like we were trying. We were trying to look him up and feel like where does he get his money from? And he's the CEO of an esports team. He's the owner of an esports team, but that can't be worth. That can't be enough money so you can buy him for a million dollars in a poker game regularly. Like that's impossible. That can't be your sole source of income. So he probably just inherited money. Is our best guess. But or he has a business that's not listed online. That's kind of secretive or something. I don't know. I don't know. To make this much money, you figure like everyone would know what it was but maybe you're right i don't know i think he's just one of the macau boys though like that, that whole rich group of guys paul fool clearly won also where i will say this though they are way better than of course the guys who used to play on high stakes poker oh yeah like, they're legit they're a lot better than phil ruffin for yeah. sure I mean, I mean maybe they're not better than they're, they might be like around the bill klein level some of them yeah bill like, klein was pretty bill good. klein's good right like bill klein would yeah. be not an easy guy to have to play against these days like i don't think right. he would be fun to play especially a guy who's like never going to be intimidated by the money in any spot ever and understands a lot and is not afraid to bluff sometimes. And like, that's cool. Like, so yeah, I think Bill Klein level is exactly what you don't want in the, in the whales. Like that's too good, really. I mean, you'll take it, I guess, if you're Isaac Haxton, but really what we want is guys who are like more Bill Perkins level, right? Where it's like clear, obvious, huge mistakes. 
you don't want the Bill Klein, Dan Shack, um, who's another one, Kerry Katz. Those guys all are like competent players yeah. at those stakes, you know. I mean, I, if you're Justin Bonomo, you still chop those guys up, of course, over time. Yeah, of course. But but like you make so much money off, more money off the Bill Perkins of the world because but Perkins is basically drawing dead in every tournament he plays in, right? Or certainly was. I assume that's still mostly yeah. true. Like, has he ever won a big tournament? I don't think so. He's played in a lot of them. The, but like Dan Shaq's won multiple big tournaments. Kerry Katz has won multiple big tournaments. They, right. they probably, you know, are dogs when they, like compared to the field. When they go in, they're probably below average, but they have a, they have a fighting chance. They at least have a puncher's chance because they know what they're doing in, in a lot of spots, right? Right. So. Well, and the McCowboys certainly differ in skill level, too. Like, yeah. there's Tan Juan, who we've seen is just a complete maniac and is definitely just a sieve for money. Right. Right. And then there's, like, Elton Sang, right. who seems like he makes pretty good decisions most of the time. Yeah. And even, you know, a, even like, a guy and like... has a, a good thought process. Right. And a lot, I think a lot of these guys, though, have just played a lot now, and they're, all, they're watching all their stuff on TV, and they care. You know, they want to be good at poker. And so, like, Paul Fua has, like, a whole website about training and stuff like that, you know? And, I mean... I don't know how valuable it is, but maybe it is. But like he clearly cares about it is my point. And so these guys yeah. are trying to learn, trying to get better. And they're playing against the best in the world. And obviously they're not really holding their own because the best in the world choose to play with them, which is a bad sign, really. Like when everyone moves to play with you, that's a really bad sign in terms of your skill level. But yeah. But having said that, like they're, they've gotten, I think they've gotten a lot tougher against these guys. Yeah. So I think cool. Alden Sang is like I think Alden Sang is like legit tough. I think that guy's actually pretty good. I mean, he's definitely going to make put you to a lot of tough decisions. We know that. We've seen that. Yeah, like very tough decisions. Anyway, those are the guys we're dealing with. We're dealing with a bunch of the McCowboys, and then Jason Kuhn and Sam Greenwood and Makita Badzikowski seems to be the table mm-hmm. that we're at here at this super high buy-in. Everybody's got around a million bucks in front of them. Um, this hand was suggested, by the way, by Mark Testart, the old Aussie down under. Mark yeah, he, tested. He's like your least favorite Aussie of like the Aussie suggestors. I'm not saying you don't like him. I'm saying of the Aussies, if you were ranking them, he comes in last every time for That's you. That's not right? true. That's Who, not true. We oh, don't know. Oh, who's your who's your least favorite? We don't know <laughs> who's Australian and who's not. <laughs> the people who we know of, though. I think Ben Page and Mark Testart are both very nice people, and I like them both. So you're saying if you had to shoot one in the head. Who would it be? I'm not going to play this game. I, I reject the premise. <laughs> Fine. You have to push one off a cliff. I also reject that premise. Okay. You have to give one of them $1,000. Who is it? Ooh. Maybe I'm, that's okay. I'm going to give Mark Tester $1,000 because he's been putting in the work recently. Oh. He's been suggesting more hands. Okay. But that's it. I noticed that your reasoning is not because he's the best and because I love him the most, but it's because he's been working recently. Yeah, but are you going to give Michael Jordan $1,000 because he's the best? That guy's a dick. You'd rather give BJ Armstrong $1,000. Okay. So, so you don't like Mark Tastard as much. That's what, like, the under, <laughs> like, as we, like, dig deep into the roots of it all. It's cool, man. I'm sure Mark Tastard's fine with this emotionally. He has been suggesting a lot lately, and we love it, Mark. I mean, yeah, I love I it more actually, than Grant. Stop it. <laughs> no, it's not true. It's not true. Grant actually, I'm a big fan. Grant wants to give you $1,000. In fact, I'm Mark, a... why don't you post your Venmo and Grant can send you that money. <laughs> Jonathan will post the money, but I'll, I'll, I'll pay Jonathan back. Don't worry about it. Okay. That's fine then. You're good for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I'm good for it. I it's hope on Mark, the air, so. Mark doesn't have any moment within that conversation where either he was very upset or very excited about getting money because none of it was real, Mark. None of it. Yeah. He's not getting money. I mean, some of it might have been real, but the money part, definitely not real. Just a real quick story that I know may have already been told in the podcast, may not have. Accrual 
thousand dollar money thing that happened in Portland. We have these poker clubs in Portland and for some reason, the biggest poker club for a while, which was called Encore, had the tournament chips have dollar signs on them and the cash chips not have dollar signs on them. And a player who was visiting Portland took one of the $1,000 tournament chips off of his stack, went to a hotel and tipped the valet with that. And the valet for sure thought he just got a $1,000 tip and took it to Encore to be like, hey, can I cash this in for (laughs) $1,000? And they're like, that's a tournament chip. (laughs) (laughs) That's so rough. That's it's really rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's not cool. It's so mean. It's like, it's, it's extra mean. Cause it like wastes the guy's time. It's like one thing not yeah. to tip him or to like give him a fake tip in some way, but to have him now he has to like do the work of going all the way to Encore, finding out where Encore is traveling there. Ha- like it's like an hour of this guy's life. You wasted. It's like so much worse than just not tipping him. It's pretty funny. Oh, well, it's definitely worse even without the travel to have that disappointment level. You yeah. know, you're I, like, wow, a thousand bucks. It was it was though fun to see the guy's face when I gave him that chip, you know, like, <laughs> like lit yeah, up. I get it. You're yeah. the guy. Yeah, it's you're, a joke. you're the guy who Obviously, did it. Obviously, I didn't do that. That's... All right, let's get to the hand. It's it's late into the podcast. We have not talked about the hand. Yeah, but it's not like we have places to be or things to do. So I have whatever things to be and places to do, bro. I'm gonna be. So what is play? I, I can I understand things to be. Yeah. What is places to do? Like mean? if you go to a jungle gym. You would do that place by going around think, on the different I don't think that's... gymnasium <laughs> sections of the jungle. This so does that mean walking on the sidewalk is doing the sidewalk? Absolutely. If you go to McDonald's and you order like a nine piece, that's doing McDonald's. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. It's a place I, I just, just did. I guess I wasn't clear about that, but now the nomenclature has been made clear to me. Yeah. And moving forward in life, I will be not only more informed, but more articulate as well. I'm, you know, I'm on Snapchat. I'm like on Insta. So I like know what all the kids are saying. I'm on top of Ah, it. I feel it. I feel it. I'm on, uh, what are the, what's the new thing these days? Friendster. 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 Yeah. I still have my Friendster. You know, what's good about MySpace is no, of course not. I don't even know if Friendster still exists. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can put music on your page on MySpace. So that's people can know about. what like your favorite song is. Yeah. And they can experience it right away. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> I can see why that felt like a good idea. I'm sure. I mean, the, time. the guy who had MySpace made a lot of money, right? Whoever the hell that was. Yeah. So the Friendster guy, Tom? too. I think Tom? wasn't Tom Friendster. I think he was Friendster, not MySpace. No, I think that was MySpace. Well, whoever Tom was made like $400 million. I know that. He, yeah. got, it, he got it at the right time. Anyway, maybe we could talk about the hand. I don't know. It's maybe a poker we could. Podcast. Maybe we will. Let's maybe talk about we poker. Should. Okay. All right. So there's a billion people in this hand because they all call, but let's get to it. Jason Kuhn, who has 1.1 billion Hong Kong dollars, which is about a, a million U.S. dollars in front of him. Right. And the blinds are three and six million Hong Kong dollars. Jason Kuhn's under the gun with Jack 10 of diamonds. He's going to open to 16.5 million. Kang Wang is plus one with 828 million Hong Kong dollars. He calls with King 10 off. That seems like a bad play. Oh, Let's terrible. Not do that. This sort of yeah. goes to our point of like, not everyone's that good, I guess. Clearly a yeah. whale. Like, that's a horrible call. All right. Player you're going to have to pay attention to, Rui Cow, is in the cutoff. He's got $1.145 billion Hong Kong dollars in front of him. <laughs> so, again, about a, about a million U.S. dollars. So crazy. He calls calls in the cutoff with King 9 of spades, which is, you know, probably better than the King 10 off when there was already a player in, but also not advisable. Really? It's not great. When, it's not it's not horrific, at least. You're in late position. You're pretty deep. Like, you know, you're about with Kuhn, you're about 
180 blinds deep, but it's still not advisable, obviously, against the end of the gun range. Like, you're just going to lose money yeah. here, of course. Of course. Makita Badzikowski has a hand that's going to put Rui Kao in trouble on certain flops. Ace three of spades. He's yeah. going to call on the button. He's got 960 million Hong Kong dollars in front of him. Tan Juan is going to call out of the small blind with queen six of diamonds because I guess there's enough players in for him to justify that. I guess. He's got a whole buttload of chips, but he's not going to matter. Yep. And Sam Greenwood in the big blind, also not going to matter, going to call with six three of hearts. So the hands that matter right now are the uh, Rui Cow with King Nine of Spades and Makita Bazikowski with Ace Three of Spades. Also of note, will be a little bit of note, is Tan Juan with Queen Six of Diamonds and Jason Kuhn with Jack Ten of Diamonds. Right. The pot is 90 million Hong Kong dollars, which is 81,000 US dollars. Right. Good. The flop is Ace of Diamonds, Four of Spades, Four of Diamonds. So Kuhn and uh, Tan Juan, both flop flush draws, uh, Juan's being better, the queen high flush draw. Kuhn has the jack high flush draw with jack 10. Badzikowski has ace three of spades for top pair. Nobody else has anything. Yeah. So it checks around. So let's talk about this. Great. Most importantly, let's talk about Kuhn's check and Badzikowski's check. Yeah. Because but- you wouldn't expect Juan to lead into like everybody, into five players with a queen high flush draw on an ace four four board, even when, with a flush draw w- without being the aggressor. Yeah. Kuhn, though as the initial aggressor, could absolutely bet the Jack-10 of diamonds on this board. Do you think he doesn't just because there's too many players and you'd expect at least one ace is out there and you have no fold equity on this one bet? I think that's a part of it. I think another part is this is the kind of board where if someone decides to get funky with him, someone makes a play at him, it's, if he bets, it's going to be really hard to call on a paired board where with the fours out there, like, like Kuhn, of course, has aces full here, of course, but if he has anything else like if he has like ace queen and he were to bet and someone check raises like coon can decide to stick around but like there's a there's so many players in like someone having a four isn't crazy either you know what i mean well so definitely course, not crazy with these guys who are calling with king 10 off plus one and king right. nine suited and, Qu- and stuff, queen, queen six, six of diamonds yeah but so also someone could decide, definitely in their range and someone could decide to make a play whether they have a four or not with a flush draw or something like that i think coon is also concerned about pot controlling already um, that said, what's the plan for Jason Kuhn? We're going to check call. I don't like that plan too much either. I, I think the plan was, yes, we have a flush draw in name, but when we're six handed and it's a Jack high flush draw and it's an ACE four, four board, it's not really something that we need to care about. Like maybe we just give up on this hand. I mean, really, if it folds to Bazikowski, Bazikowski bets, we're just going to fold. No, I think we can call then, but like we're willing to be giving up. Like we're willing to to have somebody behind us bet, and then there be like a, two calls, and then maybe we fold. We're willing for that to happen. We could consider it anyway. Yeah. At the same point, you know, like the jack high flush draw is a weird spot because like sometimes you could really be dominant. You could you could get it in flush over flush or the other way. You know, like it's like it probably like the too other good way happens. Just... The other way happens too much. Like if. If, let's say, for example, Kang Wang, who's the next to, to act, bets, and Cao and Sang both call yeah, before Kuhn acts, I feel like you just dump it. It's not profitable to call with the Jack High Flush draw at that time. Like Somebody could have you in really deep, deep shit with like fours full of aces already or have a four that makes your flush draw a lot less valuable or... There could be at least one flush draw that's higher than yours and a four out there. You know, like it's yep. it's a really bad scenario. No question about it. Those things are all in play and are problematic. At the same point, someone can have the 
six, seven of diamonds and the eight, nine of diamonds and the six, eight of diamonds and stuff like that. Now, as we see, to your point, um, I can't even keep track of who it is. Is it Tanjuan who's got the queen six yeah. of diamonds and already has us in real trouble diamond wise too. Um, this is a kind of board that, that Kuhn could decide to take a shot at though, because it's an ace high board and ace four, four may have really missed everybody. And Kuhn's got the most big aces and stuff like that. But it seems hard to imagine you're going to get this through when you're six ways. It just seems hard to imagine. So it's like, yeah, maybe you get it through 15% of the time at best. Like somebody else is going to have a flush draw, sometimes a bigger flush draw, a four or an ace, just way too much of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we can get bluffed off the hand too, really, really easily. So yeah, it's not crazy to check and sort of see what happens too. Cause sometimes you're going to check, someone's going to bet and someone's going to raise and you can just throw your hand away and you don't have to put any money in and it's great. Sometimes you check, maybe there's a call or two, and you decide to call once and see the turn and see what happens, you know? Like, figure you can decide you can, like, figure it out on the turn if you get there. Like, you may, you may not have to put a lot of money in, even if you make a flush. But, um, like, you know, a diamond comes on the turn and it checks around. You're like, okay, I probably have the best hand and I can bet the river. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, so he just gets more information by checking, too, with all these players in. Because if someone has, like, a four, they're probably going to feel obligated to raise with this many players in. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. You'd think so. So, okay, so Kuhn checks. We get why he checks. Gets to Badzikowski on the button. He is the last to act in the hand. He has ace three of spades, which happens to be the only ace in the hand. Yeah. He checks as well. What do you think about this check? It's interesting. I think you could go either way with this. So as Badzikowski, we are sort of setting up a spot where it's really hard to get any useful value except against diamonds when we bet here, right? Like... We're going to fold out everything that's worse than us except flush draws. For right, sure. We're right? charging diamonds. We're charging deuce three. We're charging deuce five. We're charging three, five. And we're charging pocket pairs that can make sets, basically, if we bet. Right. But the deuce three, three, fives, I mean, except for the big blind, it's probable we're not up against that anywhere else. Like, it's not that likely we're going to be up against You don't hits. think Rui Kao would have called with deuce three or three, five suited? You don't think? Kang Wang would have called with deuce three or three five suited. I I don't think it's fair to say that they would. Those are like Kang Wang plus one when under the gun opens calling with deuce five suited. Just because he called with king ten suited, those are very different parts of the range. King ten off suit. Okay, and my bad. I don't know about Kang Wang, but I've definitely seen Rui Kao make calls like that lots of times. Like in the hands that have been suggested to us, he's often in there with hands like that. Okay, cool. So there's a guy, maybe yeah. two. Fine. I mean, but there's like, Tanjuan. There's Tanjuan. For sure, there's at least two. There's Rui Kao and Tanjuan, like, for sure. Okay, but still, like, you know. And there's Sam Greenwood, who for sure has all yeah, those hands, Yeah, Sam Greenwood's too. the guy who most likely has those kinds of hands. But, of course, he's got the whole range of hands, really. Like, he's calling, yeah. obviously, with a huge range of hands there in the big blind, closing the action six ways. Um, I don't think we have to worry too much about the gut shots. Of course, there's a little bit of gut shot stuff, but not too much. Um so most, so really, we're mostly charging diamonds. I think is what's happening. Well, I think right? I'll, when when the field is this big, we're also charging pocket pairs. Like, yeah. there's a reasonable chance that there's two or more pocket pairs out there that are drawing to full houses that we want to deny equity to. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the other thing too is like sometimes, like like if if Kuhn has kings and it checks to us on the button, and we're Makita Bazikowski, and we bet Kuhn may call once with Kings. Eh, he probably won't, actually. He's got now too many people behind, behind him. He's too many people yeah. behind him. I was thinking about that part of it. If they were heads up, he'd call with Kings once. Um, yeah, you're right. We get, to, we get to sort of not clean up the equity pretty dramatically, which has real value when, you're this, when there are this many people. I would probably lean towards betting because of that. 
Not so much that I'm worried about someone hitting a seven on the turn and making a set of sevens, although there's that. But also just like the turn brings when you're six-handed, like let's say the 10 of spades comes out. or We have the spades, so maybe it's a bad example. The 10 of some other card comes out, and now just there's a million gut shots. Or, or maybe the 10 isn't the best card, but like gut shots are going to, like straight draws are going to develop on the turn, and we're six ways. You know, maybe straights will come in, like you're saying, on the turn, and Sam Green will have that straight, which he would have folded. Um, there's just... Things that are there, and we can bet now. We don't have to put more money in later if we don't want to. You know, we're in position. We can check the turn if we want. And I don't know. It seems a little. It's. I would probably lean towards betting here, even though I am worried about once in a while I'm going to get blown off this hand, or I'm just putting money in, and everyone who calls me is better than me. You know. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think I would lean towards betting too, but only because we're on the button. I think any other position I would check, even yeah, even the cutoff. The cutoff is the one other place I would strongly consider betting. But I yeah. certainly wouldn't cons- even consider any of the other spots. Right. I might bet the cutoff just because, like, for all those same reasons we want to bet as Makita. I understand Makita's behind us, but so many people have already called. He's, like, the fourth one in. He's going to have a lot of hands that don't have to have us beat, you know. And True. And he's often we assume if he's got an ace also, he's going to bet, and we're going to call anyway. Like, money's going to go in either way. So... It's okay. I mean, sometimes well, he can help bet and we can fold, depending on what we apparently have. Apparently, he wouldn't bet. Apparently, yeah, he wouldn't. that's right. But we don't know that at the time, if I'm thinking about betting. I would strongly consider betting the cutoff. But anyway, I like a bet for Bazikowski, but he decides to check. Yeah, he does. So still $90 million, uh in the pot as far as Hong Kong dollars, which is 81000 US dollars. That would be a right. good amount to win on nitrogen because then you would get it out super fast, and that would be cool. Now, do they pay you in Hong Kong dollars? No, they pay you in Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin-only huh. site. Oh. But if you win the equivalent of 90 million Hong Kong dollars on nitrogen, which would be difficult to do, difficult to do on any site, um, you would get yeah. it in 90 minutes if you wanted to because they don't mess around, Jonathan. Unlike anybody else in the industry, when you withdraw your money from nitrogen, you get it in 90 minutes, which makes you really wonder, what the hell are these other guys doing? Yeah, They're using Bitcoin too. Why is it taking three days to get my money? I don't get it. I mean, I can't explain it to you because there's no good explanation, Grant. There's no actual explanation that makes any useful sense. That's that. Like, everyone should be doing it this way. No one else is. It makes nitrogen better, period. Yeah, it's like, it's just like such an obvious thing. And honestly, every time we talk about it, it annoys me. It annoys me that it's not just industry standard (laughs) that everybody does this. But nitrogen is the one who does it. And uh, they are our sponsors. So, you know, lucky us, we get to talk about the good guys. Because when you use the link in the description of this podcast, you get access to our exclusive Poker Guys listeners and viewers only monthly tournament. Happens the last Sunday of every month. It is a 100 millibit guarantee, which is one-tenth of a Bitcoin. The buy-in is 0.1 millibits, which is one one one-thousandth of 100 millibits. So, you know, really little buy-in, really big results for you because they never get anywhere near the amount of players they need to meet the guarantee, which is 1,000. You know what? They don't even allow for it. They'd cap it at 300 players, Jonathan. They're just giving money away every month like fools. Like It's fools. pretty sick. Yeah, and that one one-thousandth of Bitcoin means it costs like a dollar to play, a little less these days, but it depends on the price of Bitcoin at any, at any moment. Grant is so entranced by this, entranced, entranced by this, entranced, so yeah. excited about this, that he actually wrote a poem about nitrogen, which he, labeled, which he named Belonging. So, Grant, why don't you read that and just share that with people? Okay. It's... It, I, I want to pre- I'll preface this by saying yeah. there's kind of an acoustic element to it. So it's not just like reading words from a page. Like you have to, it has uh-huh. to be said a certain way, which is why I'm going to speak the way that I speak. 
Okay. But okay. it's not slam poetry. You made that very clear to me. No, no, it's not. It, there's an acoustic element. It's okay. It's different. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to say that this is derivative of slam, slam poetry or not. Some people might say it's derivative. I would be upset at those people because yeah. it's my own art that I've created. It's a medium. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Acoustic poetry. All right. You ready? Great. Yeah. Belonging. When the Bitcoin flows, how far can it go? Does it belong to you? Does anything belong to anyone? Nitrogen knows. Do you? Do you? That's it. What's nice job. I thought you maybe Thanks. there was maybe a missed opportunity or, or two in there when you said the Bitcoin flows and then where does it go? Instead of saying where does it goes? You got the, the rhyme was right in front of you, bro. What happened? I don't know. I felt like in acoustic poetry, the rhyme doesn't have to be perfect. Maybe you haven't read the wiki on it yet. No, but I, that's, I don't. Yeah. I don't really read poetry wikis so much anymore. All right. So poetry is generally graded on a star scale of one to six and a half stars. Yeah. What do you give that one? Oh, that one is a solid 4.68 stars for me. That is that is generous, and I appreciate it because yeah. I self grade it at a 3.8, and I'm wow. hard, I'm a harsh critic of myself. Yeah, you are. But I think really I harsh. think I have a lot I have a lot a lot to improve upon, and I can get there. I thought the acoustic noodlings that you did in the middle really really jammed my jive. You know. <laughs> yeah, I love I love a, a good acoustic <laughs> noodling. <laughs> this is what I we do. This is I who hope we the are listeners now. enjoy that. I hope <laughs> listeners enjoy this because I, I enjoy it. Yeah, me too. It's like, I'm going to make up a poem. I'm going to say that Grant's going to tell you a poem. Make up the name and tell me can't do slam poetry. Go! <laughs> and then Grant just does it. It's amazing. So fun. So fun. All right. Anyway, let's get back to the hand. Okay. Let's go to the turn. Yeah, so we have two flush draws here. We have uh, Queen-Six of Diamonds for Tan Juan, the Jack-Ten of Diamonds for Jason Kuhn, and Badzikowski with Ace-Three of Spades on the Ace-Four-Four, two-diamond-one-spade board heading to the turn, yeah. which is six ways. The turn is an incredible card for Makita Badzikowski. It is the Five of Spades. Yeah. He now has a steel wheel draw with the Ace-Three of Spades along with top pair. Pretty good deal. Of note, also Rui Cow has King-Nine of Spades, so he's picked up the second enough flush draw to go along with his King-High on the yeah. turn. Yeah, this is one of the problems with playing the King Nine of Spades when under the gun opens. Now, it turns out it's the button who called anyway, but like, you know, obviously sometimes you have to play King High suited cards. Don't get me wrong, but like this is one of the ones you don't have to play a lot of the time. Certainly in this spot, you don't have to play it. You, would, you just don't have to be in the spot. And now you're like drawing dead already to Makita, and you're probably going to put some money in a lot of the time depending on how the action goes. Yep. Okay, so there's there's actually some pretty interesting subtle decisions on the turn. Let's get let's go through them. Okay, starting with Tan Juan, who is first to act out of the small blind, he checks the Queen Six of Diamonds. Do you think this is an opportunity to bet? I do. Uh, from the small blind, he does have fours in his range. A lot of these guys have fours in their range, probably like uh, Ace Four, Ace Four suited, and Four Five. Although those are all blocked by the board. Um, I mean, and it's check, it's checked through already, so it's less yeah. likely that somebody else has a four. He's one of the most likely people to have a four being Agreed. in the small blind. Right. He'd be setting traps often for the undergun player, especially on the ace high board. Uh, so would Greenwood. But those are the two guys most likely to have it. Uh, because he has the flush draw, I think it's a pretty interesting time to take a shot at this. You're planning probably, depending on how the things go, but often you're going to check call anyway, right? Like, wouldn't you rather have some fold equity here? Like, you might be able to bet and just take it down. Like, wouldn't that be right. amazing? I mean, you could... 
you don't have to have a four either. You could have like ace ten in the small blind have and call totally like pre flop. Yeah, and if have, Kuhn, so you if, can have a hand like that. Like we were already saying, if Kuhn has kings, he's gonna fold. We're six ways. Like he cannot call with kings here. I don't think. You know, no. Like so, we can really fold out way better hands than ours. It's pretty awesome. I would expect him to. I I would strongly consider betting if I were him in this spot. He doesn't, but I would strongly consider it. Yeah, I agree. But he checks. Yeah. Greenwood's going to check. By the way, Greenwood has an open ender. Oh, yeah. But it's two flush so, draws. The board's paired. Greenwood doesn't think he can ever get this through with six high and is afraid probably that sometimes he's drawing dead and sometimes even when he gets there, it makes the flush for someone, which, as we can see, is true. Yeah, but you wouldn't be really thinking that much that somebody has a diamond flush draw. That's too true. Often. Maybe, maybe a spade flush draw, but diamonds are, seem less likely because everybody checked the flop. Yeah. And, you know, as Greenwood, you could take a shot at it, but maybe you just know that some of these guys, maybe this is what Tanjuan is thinking too, and maybe even Kuhn, but uh, pre, and Badzikowski, sorry, on the flop with those two guys. Like, this is just not a table of folders, perhaps. And if it's not a table of folders, you shouldn't be taking that many shots when you're six ways, you know, like with, with semi-bluffs. Like, it's just not going to work. Like, it's just not profitable. I mean, since we're seeing all this behavior from all these guys, both pros and non-pros, I'm thinking maybe that's the case. Maybe, because... Greenwood checks, and guess who else checks? Jason Kuhn yeah. with the jack-high flush draw. And he even got to see everybody behind him check on the flop, and this is a relatively innocuous turn card. And Kuhn absolutely can still have hands like ace-king, ace-ace. Yeah. Like, for sure, he's going to check those sometimes. Six ways, for sure. So, so it's interesting that he also checks again with the jack-high flush draw. Yeah. So he must, like, I just think these guys feel like people don't fold. It must be. I guess. Kang Wang is going to check his King 10 off. He's the only one at this point who doesn't have anything to do with the board. Everybody else has at least something to do with the board. Everyone else has a big draw. Everyone. Yeah. It's crazy. Rui Kao with a second up flush draw is going to bet. Finally, somebody found a bet. Seems, Seems reasonable. Yeah. Seems like a very reasonable play to bet as Rui Kao. You can have fives full. You can have a four that you slow played. You could have an ace. You do have a flush draw. It works. It makes sense. Yeah. No one seems interested bets, in the board. Like He bets 53 million into 90 million. All right, Badzikowski, call or raise? With the ace three of spades, we do have the steel wheel draw to go with top pair. I think it's a pretty clear call and not a raise. Like, we're still six because ways. Because we have showdown value? We have clear showdown value. We have, a, we have a big draw still, which is often good if we get there. Almost always good if we get there. Um, we don't know for sure that either Rui Kao or someone else doesn't already have a full house. We're raising with a terrible kicker to what end... If this guy's not a folder anywhere, the other the t- it's not a table full of folders. Maybe we can't get a hand like Ace Ten to fold anyway. Why not just call? But if he's not like, a folder, if he's not a folder, maybe we can get a hand like King Nine of Spades to call though. And he's drawing maybe, dead. but he but he's often going to have like hands that are beating us here, right? Like often, um, we block spades. I don't think we put him on that many spades combos versus Ace combos if he bets and. I mean, we only block the three of spades really if you're thinking about it that way. But if you think about the group of hands we're up against, if he's, if he's got king nine of spades, if we raise, like, I don't know what he's going to do, actually, if he's going to fold or call. It depends on probably how much we raise. If he has an ace, he's, I don't know what he's going to do. But, like, we're actually doing fine against both those, both those kinds of hands. Like, we're losing right now to aces. Sometimes we get a card, which we chop with. Sometimes we hit a spade where we win. That's pretty cool. Sometimes we make a straight. That's all pretty good. I don't think I just don't see any reason to turn this into a bluff right now when we're six ways and like there's still some very potentially huge hands here. Like Rui Kao could just have pocket fives like very reasonably. You know, I mean, it's not really turning it into a bluff. It's like uh, it's almost like uh, 
semi bluff slash build equity, like build pop for equity because you have huge equity against almost everything. I'm not I mean, advocating it. I'm just saying it's yeah. not as crazy as you're making it sound. The problem is, if we look, if we're a heads up, I would like it much more, even three ways. But I guess just six ways, I just worry about. Every time we raise and someone else decides to suddenly put in a big... Elton Sang is like... We know Elton Sang can be crazy. We've seen him be completely bananas. Elton Sang takes his diamond draw and is like, I'm just going to rep the four now or rep four or five now. And like, I don't... I believe Badzikowski would have bet a four on the, on the flop, so I don't think he has a four. I just don't think it. I All believe right. Rui Cow would have bet a four. So I'm going to raise right now with my flush draw and, and then we're just going to get blown off the hand, you know? That would just be terrible. Now, to be fair, this question might not be applicable at this table, but I want to do this anyway. Okay. If we're not raising this hand, do we have enough raises as Badzikowski in this exact spot? Interesting question. I think we should be raising hands that are more like the, uh, the six, seven of spades if we're going to raise, like hands that at least don't have showdown value. This hand has clear showdown value and can absolutely be ahead right now. Yeah. You know, like, like and in fact, it is ahead, by the way. It's the best hand. Right, uh, By a lot. like we yeah. could we could very much be up against a flush draw. Sometimes one we're dominating, sometimes not, and like that's kind of cool. And if we're behind, we have ways to win anyway. But like, I I just feel like there's there's better. I'd rather do it with a non showdownable hand, where it's like, all right, I only get there a third of the time at best. You know, like that's a hand I'd want to turn into a bluff. I think more than than top pair. What yeah, do you think? I mean, that's fair. I agree with that. Mm. I think it's maybe maybe this is a hand you should raise sometimes, though, just to like keep it in, in your range, you know? Yeah, that's not crazy. Like, it's harder to play against you. But against a guy like Rui Cow, maybe you, never, you don't have to do stuff like that, perhaps. Maybe not. You know, like against Jason Kuhn, maybe you do. So because right. like against Daniel Coleman, for example, we know if you like we've seen Daniel Grindel raise a hand just like this on the flop, ace four on an ace high board and Coleman calling with like third pair you know, after Coleman had bet because Coleman thinks Negrano's polarized and you're going levels deep and that can work. But against a guy like Rui Cow, it may just be like setting money on fire for no reason. Yeah. That was one of our first breakdowns, huh? One of the early ones. It was a long time ago. Yeah. We were like, what is Negrano doing? Yeah. But it kind of worked. Yeah. It was kind of, it was cool. It did. All right. So Badzikowski does just call the 53 million. Um, And here's the thing. Everyone else folds. So we need to talk about this. Yeah. Because... Tanjuan folds the queen six of diamonds in the small blind right after Badzikowski. That feels tight. That feels pretty tight. I mean, like, this is going to apply to Kuhn as well, but it seems like either Cow or Badzikowski would have been likely to bet the nut flush draw on the flop, right? Those would, after, after the aggressor checks, seems like a likely hand to bet. Yeah, that's true. So um, the, you shouldn't be that worried about the nut flush draw. I think part of the problem, if you're either of these two guys... Um, but in this case, Tanjuan, uh, with your diamond draws, is that, A, you're out of position. So it's, if you get there, it's going to be hard to get value. Like, maybe it's possible, but it's going to be hard. Sometimes you're drawing dead, which is also problematic. And the, pri- the implied odds, you need implied odds because the current price isn't good enough. Like, it's there's 176... Bad, not... What? There's, well, there's 196 million uh, in the pot as far as Hong Kong dollars, and it's okay. 53 million to call. Right. So we're getting just not good enough a price with still people behind us where we're sometimes drawing dead and it's going to be really hard to get value because we're in the worst position. We're out of position to everyone. It's a reasonable so you, fold. So you would fold? Yeah, I would. 
And you would also fold Jason Kuhn's hand then? I think I would. Um, I think they're both close, but I think like the nature of the board is such that it's just, it's just hard. Like that's just why I think it's weird that Kuhn decided to start checking in the first place. If we're going to like be check folding a lot, you know, and like we have kind of a reasonable hand that we can try and get value from and like also fold equity instead. Like we just don't ever put any more money in. I think if the board wasn't paired, I'd be much more interested in calling if the board wasn't paired. I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit because I feel like, your analysis has a lot of value, but I also feel like you're analyzing it as if it were the flop and the flop had not yet occurred where everybody already checked. Right. That's because fair. I think that's a huge point that matters. Like everybody already checked, including Rui Cow and Makita Badzikowski. It just makes it so much less likely that they have a four or a bigger flush draw than the queen or jack high flush draw. I mean, either one of them can have fives full for sure. Right. They can mostly, mostly Rui Cow. Badzikowski um, didn't raise. Yes, that's true. Rui Kao is more likely to have it. Um, it's possible Bazikowski is just going to call, though, with fives full anyway because he's so far ahead of possible. everybody. Like, someone has to hit their set on the river to beat him. Maybe an ace could come, I guess, too. But there's very few. Like, the table as a whole has very few outs against you if you have fives full, you'd be thinking, right? You could decide yeah. to raise once in a while, but you assume, like, you're just going to raise and take it down. You're, in posi- you're on the button. Like, you might just... I-, I could see you deciding not to raise that. But fair enough. I still agree with you that... Um, Cow has more fives full. Um, it's possible some of these guys are going to slow play a four and have like fours in their range still too. Um, either Cow or Bazikowski once in a while, right? Um, yeah. That's about it. I'll, I'll grant you that you would expect bigger flush draws would be have bet already most of the time. Yeah. I'll grant you that. So I, I think these are just a couple of like pretty tight folds. Like, how are we I, supposed I, to get value, though? Like, let's say we call and a diamond comes. Do we really think if we check, those, one of those guys is going to bet when the third diamond comes with all these people who were in and now worth at least three ways? I just don't know that they're going to bet mean, very often. Maybe if they have trip I fours, guess, maybe. I guess we lead. I don't know. Are they going to call when we, when we play? I mean, it really looks like we have a flush when we lead out of nowhere. Yeah, it does. Maybe, maybe we get value. Easy to get, it's not easy to get value on the river, but like, the price isn't terrible. It's not that far off. I, right. But if we are sometimes drawing dead and if we may not be able to get value on the river, it makes it much rougher, I think. Yeah. I just feel like it's really hard. The drawing dead part is really hard to be accurate. I mean, pocket fives. Flop. It's mostly pocket fives. I'll grant you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. As we see, though, like people are checking their flush draws on the flop. Like Jason Kuhn, I wouldn't think had, would have diamonds here. Reasonable diamonds. It turns out he does. So maybe Jason Kuhn have the king X of diamonds, too. You know, I mean, I would guess he would have bet the king X of diamonds on the flop more I would likely think that than the too. jack. I agree. I agree with you. And then you think like as the, having the queen X of diamonds specifically means we have effectively the nut flush draw a lot here. Like I agree with you. Yeah. Um, which is cool, but I don't know. Maybe six ways Kuhn just isn't betting a hand like the nut flush draw either. Maybe I don't know. Maybe either way they both find folds. Yeah. So does Sam Greenwood with his open ender, but that makes more sense to me. And uh, now we're going heads up to the river with uh, Rui Cao with the king nine of spades, Mikita Badzkowski with the ace three of spades on the ace four, four, five, two diamond, two spade board. Yeah. The pot is 196 million Hong Kong dollars, which is 176,000 US dollars. The river is the ace of clubs. Yeah. The bads boys got nothing to worry about now. Five's full. No problem. Quad fours is the only problem. Yeah, that's fine. 
I, yeah. Ace five. Ace five is actually the problem too. Okay, Ace five. But, yeah, but whatever. Like it's not a big deal. <laughs> right. Like we feel good about our hand. So Rui Couch checks. I think that makes sense. It seems like Badzikowski could have an ace as played. I mean, he didn't bet the flop, but he certainly could have an ace, right? And if Absolutely. we bet the king high, if we bet the king high spades, what are we trying to fold out? Like we're hoping Badzikowski has a lesser flush draw, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, we don't think Badzikowski has like two sevens that he called with on the flop, right? On the turn, no. excuse me, or a five. Where there's nothing to fold out that makes any sense. It's like it's like Badzikowski either has a full house or a missed flush draw or a missed straight draw, right? That's kind of it, right? Yeah. At this point, so. So Kau checks, and it's on Badzikowski, and it's one of those spots where you're like, well, of course I have to bet for value, but how am I ever going to get called by a worse hand? How is that possible? I mean, you, you, know, pray, like, you pray for fours. You figure a four might call you, right? That's about it. They might, but they also might just find a fold. Yeah, but if usually guys who aren't really, really good call with all full houses, you know? You've said that so many times on this podcast, and yeah. maybe I just can't wrap my head around it, but it's like full houses are so different in quality based on the situation and everything. And are people who play a lot of poker really thinking of full houses so categorically that they are incapable of folding them? Um, there is a very strong theorem that, that says that, and a lot of people subscribe to that. Obviously, some full houses are different than others, of course. right? If you have pocket deuces on an ace-king 888 board and the guy had opened under the gun, your full house you're probably going to be able to find folds with that. I think even amateurs are going to be able to find a bunch of folds with that hand. Um, but when you have like a four in this spot, I don't know. I, I, could, I think check calling with a four here on the river makes sense. Like Bazikowski doesn't have to have an ace, you know? I mean, you could consider it, but you, you're not like fist pumping as you do it. No. Oh, no, no, not. Of course not. Like, no, we're checking. We're not, we don't, th- we're not raising. Like we don't, we know we're beat a lot, but like we get to capture, like we know the draws are probably going to bluff a lot when that card comes and we check. Right. So, and we beat all the draws. So it's not crazy. Well, let's, let's take a look at that situation because Baskowski is going to bet. Of course. He's going to bet 65 million into 196 million, keeping it relatively cheap, hoping to get called by a hand like fives full or maybe a slow played fours full. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say what happens and then we're going to talk about it. Great. Because Rui Cow calls. Yeah. With King Nine of Spades. Yeah. Which feels like maybe the worst hand in the deck to call with. Like I can think of a worse hand. I can think of a worse hand. The King Six or the King Seven of Spades is the worst hand to call with. Or maybe like the nut the nut low. The nut low is the worst to call with. (laughs) The deuce three off? (laughs) Oh, the deuce three of spades. No, because that's a, that's a straight flush. Okay. But yeah, no, but I'm saying like the king seven of spades blocks the straight draw and the flush draw. You know, the king okay. six of spades blocks yeah. the straight draw and the flush draw. So the most likely holdings, of course. So that uh, yeah, seems it's, like it's worse. Worst. It's worse to call with deuce seven off here, but this is a bad hand to call with. Like, yeah. Why is Rui Cow calling this river? I know he has aces and fours with a king, and the king plays against Badzikowski's flush draws, but. Yeah. Badzikowski's most likely flush draws are spade draws. Yeah. They are not diamond draws because he checked the flop. And we block spade draws because we have a spade draw yeah. as Rui Cow. I don't know if there's much else to say. Is this justifiable? Is there anything justifiable about this call? Well, 6-7 is a, is a hand that maybe Badzikowski could turn up with here, right? And if he can turn he up with 6-7... just fold seven, it. I mean, I he think he would. just fold it on the turn. I honestly do think he would. But being on the button, when it checks all the way through basically twice, all the way to Rui Cow anyway. Um, maybe he calls on the button to see what happens on the Probably river. a lot more likely to raise than call on the turn with 6-7. It's, 
Honestly, I think he probably just folds six ways. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to do one of the things, raise or call, probably raises the choice. Yeah. The other thing that would really concern me as Rui Cao is the fact that the bet is $65 million. Now, Rui Cao, I'm sure that Bazikowski is tailoring this bet specifically to Rui Cao when he makes it $65 million, right? He's not trying to get called by King High. I think he's trying to get called by a four, but he's trying to make it a very callable number for a four, right? Trying not to blow a four out of the water is what he's doing. And if he had seven high or nine high, I don't know that he bets $65 million because Rui Cao either has a give up anyway where you can bet any, I guess, any amount of money, or you have to bet more to blow, out, blow a four out of the water. Maybe if he doesn't think it's possible to get a four to fold, you bet, you bet something like $65 million, no matter what with your bluffs too. Um, but it's possible that, as we see, Rui Cao, not super interested in folding hands, right, since he calls. Maybe Bazikowski doesn't even take a shot with his misses against Calvary almost ever, you know? He might just be checking Maybe back not. some crazy amount of the time. Some super let's high in, percentage of the time. Let's try to get in Rui Kao's head. What do we yeah. think Bedskowski has that justifies this call? Okay. We need him to have worse spades. We need him to have a straight draw. We need him to have a diamond draw. I mean, that's it. We feel like it's full house or nothing. I think one of the things that makes it a little bit more interesting to consider calling is you might think to yourself, isn't Bazikowski going to bet a four or an ace on the flop when everyone checks to him and he's on the button? Like, that's one of the questions you ask, right? Which is why you might lean towards like, well, I could see why maybe a king high is going to be good here sometimes. Because why okay, wouldn't he bet an ace or a four? I, th- I think that's level one thinking and you're neglecting the rest of the picture, which yeah. is what else would he bet on the flop? And that includes diamond draws that are worse than king high. And then, okay, maybe on the turn he shows up with spades because it makes sense for him to call with spades on the turn, but we block spades. So yeah. it's a bad time to do that. It's a bad time to call. <laughs> it does seem to be a bad time to call because we block spades. I agree. Like we really don't want to have spades in our hand. We want to have taken like a crazy shot with King Queen off here and not have yeah. any spades in our hand, get called by Bazikowski, have the brick come. And then, sh- then calling with King high makes more sense at least. Right. Cause we block none of the spades. We probably have nut, still no not pair. good. Probably still not good, but it makes more sense. And that yeah. nut no pair is the same as any king. Of by course the way. it is. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but still the nut no pair, all the same. Yeah. Which is what he has right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what's going on in Rui Kao's mind, though, is like he thinks like you would just bet an ace or a four so often. And even though I have spades, if I don't really can't give you any aces and I can't give you any fours, we're down to like pocket fives. Um, something weird that you played, like as it turns out, I guess he checked the flop when we would have probably bet it. Um, or Miss Draws. So cool. Like, I'm going to call. I'm rich. I'm going to call. You know? I guess, and, it, and he's getting, I'm getting a great Kos- price. Right? I guess Bazikowski's check on the flop earned him this call. Um, yeah. I can understand. Like, it's a problem with thinking that you're 100% sure about things. So, like, because I think as Rui Kao to make this call, you have to be nearly 100% sure that Bazikowski would have bet an ace on the flop. Right? Which clearly is not the case. I mean, you don't have to be 100% sure because you don't have to be right. Like, we're getting as bad as Rui Kao... Uh, it's 65 to win 260. We can be wrong a lot and still have it be okay, you know? Yeah, but That's we, the should good news. Be, we should have different hands here to call with. <laughs> this is not a hand that we're supposed to call with. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. But, like, you know, we don't have to be right, like, 23% of the time, 22% of the time. That's the good news, right? So if we think Bazikowski has, has, you know... The problem is, like, what do we have that we could ever play like this... I guess a four. We have fours. That, but usually yeah. we're going to bet the four on the flop, aren't we? I assume we usually. would bet a four on the flop. 
So that's part of our problem. Like, maybe this is one of the best hands we can show up with here. So maybe that works its way into his head a little bit, too. But it doesn't really matter as far as hand rank, because, of, like, in distribution, blockers tend to matter more, and that's the case here. Sure, but, like, having a king really matters, right? Like, you can't really yeah. call without a king. And if you're going to be bluff catching, I guess you could call with a four if we want to call that bluff catching, but fine. Or maybe, maybe we somehow have a five sometimes that we could bluff catch with that. Maybe once in a while we bet a five on the turn, like, I block fives full and everyone checked again. I might as well take a shot, you know? I can't give a free card to everyone. Maybe sometimes I take it down. I could see Rui Cal betting a five on the turn. Yeah, me yeah. too. It's actually not crazy to bet a five on the turn. When everyone no. checks again to you, I probably would bet it, actually. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, maybe everyone will fucking fold. That would be great. You know, like, obviously, if I check, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to almost always lose. So I might as well bet and see if I can win. That's going to happen sometimes here. You yeah. know, just protect your equity because you probably have the best hand. Um, so, yeah, so you have, so you probably do have fives. You have some fours and you have king high flush draws. I don't know if we have seven, six or not. Let's assume we do. Um, we probably have other spade draws as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we have better bluff catchers, I guess, is, is the point. Like, all our, like, the fours are a better bluff catcher for sure. The four is a great bluff catcher, really. Yeah. Four, a four is what we should be check calling with, and we should probably be folding everything else. If we really decide we want to, maybe we could call with a five. But a king, especially with spades in our hand, seems absurd. Yeah, if we had the king high diamonds, maybe it's a better call because Betskowski didn't bet the flop. It's got to be. You know? It's got to be a yeah. better call. Um, right. I don't know if it's good enough anyway, but it's, yeah. gotta, it's, it's clearly better, right? Because at least now Makita can have spades in his hand. Like, we, have the, we right. don't have, like, he can have the nine of spades in his hand instead of us having the nine of spades. So then he can have nine, ten suited and stuff like that and, like, feel forced to take a shot. Yep. I would really be concerned, though, about the sizing, too, when Makita makes it so callable. Such, he's giving us almost five to one to call, like, unless he just knows that we're, like, binary in this spot. And so it doesn't matter. And he can really bluff this cheaply. I'd be really worried about the sizing. You know, it just feels like, doesn't he just have it? Like, doesn't he just always have an ace here when he bets 65 into yeah, 196? Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that. It also just feels like I don't want to block spades. Yeah, I mean, just if don't I want to block spades. If I was um, in Makita's shoes and I was bluffing and I was up against an unknown opponent anyway, I would absolutely size it bigger than this. Like, I would be like, oh my God, I have to get like all the stuff to fold. <laughs> like maybe pocket pairs could be in here too, by the way, like pocket eights. Maybe cow can have like pocket yeah. eights and pocket sevens and pocket nines, stuff like that. And like, I would just want to size it up to get all that stuff to fold. And I'd be really worried the 65 million might not do the trick because of all yeah. the draws that missed, you know? So again, maybe, maybe cow is such a, such a clear binary player. It doesn't matter. And he knows that too, but I doubt it. Yeah. And I mean, adding six and sevens, eights and nines, into cow's yeah. range, which I think is a reasonable thing to do, really yeah. lowers the distribution for king nine also. Yeah, when you add spades, and the fact that they're spades makes it feel yeah. like just a horrific call now that we're doing it's, that. I agree. It's bad. It's yeah. bad.